0: Welcome to Yolitix, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas
1: politics.
0: All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, Thanks for uh, downloading Yolitix again with us this week. I'm Jason Wheeler.
1: I'm Jason Whiteley. And we are at home today for uh, our Zoom call to make this, uh, uh, you know, socially distancing acceptable as we still get through the coronavirus. And for the first time in a few weeks, we're actually... Uh, having a beer at the house. Jason, what do you have in the fridge?
0: Uh, I had, uh, I'm fancy today. I had a Stella Artois in the ah, fridge. Ah,
1: that's a, an import, man. I'm going to go with a uh, a local buzz, Four Corners Brewery here in Dallas. So mm. I'm going to have a uh, local buzz. It is after 12 noon, so it's fine to, uh, <laughs> to have a drink as we launch into this podcast. Yeah, uh, you you I think...
0: I think it made it feel okay. Uh, You know, lately we just haven't uh, kept up with that part of the podcast just because the news has been so, so awful and it continues that way today. But uh, the reason that we even bring it out today is because we're talking about how these stores have been getting stocked it is uh, amazing you know the first few days into this uh, boy those shelves were just bare they still are in some cases but it's amazing how well these grocers have been able to adjust to just crazy circumstances
1: i went shopping the other day at my grocery store and they had it, almost everything except uh, you know some pasta and still no paper products. Um, right. That was at a store near downtown Dallas. Now, they've had paper products, you know, five or six days ago, and people ended up buying them. Um, but there's a lot of things at the stores, and the stores are packed. I, I tell you, I, I was a little nervous walking into the store and hanging on to the grocery cart as I pushed <laughs> through the aisles. You know, yes. you, you watch the news, and you're thinking, well, you know, this stuff can stay on surfaces. But yep. they uh, they sanitized the— uh, Handle of the cart, and I had a little pair of gloves on just in case.
0: I will say this: I went uh, grocery shopping yesterday, and I thought, you know, maybe this will look a little extreme, but I've got a construction mask um, that's pretty high grade. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to wear it when I go in there. Whatever, I'm at the the door, the entrance to the store, and I'm wiping down the handle of the cart, and a woman like reaches for the wipes and comes right into my space and in fact brushes up against me and i right there i put the mask on i was just like geez this is the way it's going to be even though we've all been told not to do this and as i made my way through the store over and over again i kept thinking thank god i put this thing on because over and over again people just came right up to where i was even though we had space in there and it's like people come on we've all been told
1: yeah, it's incredible. I, I most people at the store I went to kind of kept their distance, but several people would, you know, get real close. I'm like, you know, I'll stay in the store an hour and a half, 2 hours if I have to, but I'll let you go first if you're, you know, dying to get up next to the cold cuts that that close to them. You know, go for it.
0: It's just amazing. So in in just a few minutes, uh, we're going to get into this whole story about, you know, what a lot of people consider to be a Texas treasure, that being H-E-B. Unfortunately, they don't have a big footprint in North Texas yet. People have been begging for years for them to come here. Uh, But we've got a a great interview uh, coming up here in just a bit with a reporter from Texas Monthly who did a whole piece on how HEB was so prepared uh, for this crisis, for this uh, the run on goods uh, that we've seen. Uh, But before we get to that, uh, this is a great story, Jason.
1: We have a couple of very passionate moms from Collin County who have done something that has just taken off. They've gotten on Facebook. This is a woman named uh, Emily Phillips and a woman named Holly Haggard. And one of them had an RV and the other was married to a doctor who works at an emergency room, constantly around people uh, who might have some symptoms of COVID-19. And Emily Phillips was worried about her husband coming home. She has asthma. Uh, They have a six-month-old at home and there's an eight-year-old there with asthma. So Emily said, hey, I'd like to park him out in the driveway so he doesn't come in the house in an RV. Does anyone have one? Come to find out, Jason, this has taken off. So we gave them a call, and the the interview is fascinating to see what they've been able to do in just a very short period of time. And they live out in Salina, Texas. You know, it's north of the Metroplex. It's kind of out in the country. Tell us how in the world you came up with this idea.
2: Um, you would think that we would be in the safest place in the world. We live on a three acre property with a pond and. A pool and the trampoline it's kind of like a little resort for children and there's not many people around us so for being quarantined and all of these things you would think we're the safest however my husband um, Dr. Jason Phillips is a is a uh, lead emergency room doctor at Legacy ER uh, which is their main branches in um, West Frisco and uh, all of a sudden it, I just realized I kind of woke up in my in the middle of the night and said oh my goodness he's bringing home hundred and hundred patients a day of germs with him. Um, and I have a six month old baby and, a, and an eight year old son that has asthma and I have asthma and, and, and all he's got to do is touch his face one time. And you know, so I, I had so much anxiety. And so did my, my parents who are, they have low immune systems as well. So my mom and I were trying to figure out what do I could do? Can I move into a hotel? No, I'm not going to move in a hotel. Can I move him to a hotel? We didn't want to expose him to other people. So finally my mom said, you know what, why don't you see if somebody's got like an RV or a camper or something, you can park it on your property. He can at least be close to home, but not live in your house. And I thought that's a great idea. So last Sunday, I made a post and said does anybody have a camper or RV that we can borrow so I can isolate my husband and immediately our friend uh, Holly and my mutual friend Lynn Bender her husband is actually a judge um, Jay Bender great great couple she got me she got me in touch with um, with Holly and said Holly has agreed to uh, to, to give you your camper And I'm like are you kidding me and, and she said and she said, um, no, she said, and no questions asked. My husband, he was hesitant at the beginning because, you know, he's a doctor. Doctors are more laid back about this than any of us. I, I compare it to a pilot that has lots of turbulence. He thinks that's fun because they get bored with their regular planes. So for doctors, this is all exciting at first. And now, obviously, we're more anxious about it. It took him a while to get his head wrapped around it. And it is taking doctors a little bit to get their heads wrapped around it. We went over and picked it up from um
3: Holly
0: love that and and so, Holly, what made you decide to jump in here, both feet in and 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 do this?
3: You know, I didn't really have time to think about it. It's one of those things where you just it's you feel it, and the your immediate response is yes, I mean, i'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna help uh, it, it's actually it's my mom's camper, so I did check with her first uh, because originally, Emily had asked if somebody would rent one to them. The, the post was about renting them one. And, uh, you know, I asked my mom if she was okay with me loaning this out. And I knew, of course, she would say, absolutely, she's just got the biggest heart. And so I told her that they were wanting to rent it. And she said, well, no. And so I kind of figured that's what she was going to say anyway. We told Lynn to let her know no charge, because Lynn was asking, what's the cost? And, and I said, no no charge we we owe them <laughs> they're they're the ones on the front line you know her husband is the one out there risking his life to save other people's lives and I mean that's the least
1: that we can do. Well, Emily, let me ask you: Is there literally a an RV sitting outside? And you don't let your husband come in once he gets home from the hospital? Right. Is it yes. in your driveway?
2: Yes, and uh, to be honest, it's actually quite a swanky one. He's he's starting to like it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm,
2: I'm wondering if he's going to come back in. He he literally he came home from work last night. I had no idea he was even home. He was already sleeping. <laughs> He cooked a steak and everything in there, played Xbox. I'm like, okay. Did
3: he really? Yes. Yeah.
1: You know what? You may have made a mistake I on that whole thing. I
3: know. He's got a man
2: camp. He absolutely <laughs> loves it now. And crazy as it is, he absolutely loves yeah. it. He's also a hunter, so he feels like he's out in deer camp or right. something.
0: Well, a lot of these doctors right now, these medical professionals, they need that sort of unwind yes. time, don't they? This is a really yeah.
1: tense time.
2: Very. I, I'm, I'm sensing it from him, and I think this has like been great for him. Just
1: to a veg. So, you, you guys have done more than two uh, campers. <laughs> yeah. And the last, laugh- this has been going, <laughs> you're, you're laughing at my question here, but this has been going on for a week. Hi. Tell me how many campers you guys have connected with doctors uh, so far.
3: You know what? I'm going to be honest. I, we don't, so we jumped into this so fast and we finally have developed somewhat of a team to help us out and these are all volunteers everybody has full time jobs everybody needs sleep but everybody's jumped in to help and and provide their expertise and so we've developed a team to kind of take over certain things that's one of the things we're going to find out <laughs> because we've got a log of everybody but we we're working with an IT guy to help us get that you know, kind of organized. And that's that's been the whole thing is we need people to be really patient with us.
0: Can you give us a ballpark though, as to how many you all have been able to match or how many people I, have I asked? I think
3: we're at around
2: 50. Wow. Uh, yeah, because I, believe it or not, this happened so fast. I was able to
3: match 10 to 15 just myself before we even started. The, the webpage, the Facebook group was not even developed until 1054 Tuesday night. <laughs> Wow. And we've got over 2,200 people in the group now, and it's not even a week.
1: And the, the, the Facebook group is called RVs, the number four, MDs, RVs for MDs. And, you know, Emily, when, when I called you on the phone and said, hey, this is this is interesting, it, it's fascinating, um, you, you mentioned something to me that kind of struck, and that is people who are lending these RVs out to doctors – are maybe aren't the same socioeconomic levels of doctors people are, are are you know volunteering this and everyone's coming together
2: it is i have to tell you i when you see somebody like i said they they might not they, they might not even have a, a high school education they don't have anything to their name but maybe an rv and that is it they are handing these keys over to an md and it, and the md is so grateful and in tears And both Mm -hmm. of them are in tears. It is the most beautiful experience.
0: Talk about a little bit uh, what this means for the, the families of these doctors, too, because we've talked about how heroic all these medical professionals are right now because they're running into the fire that most people would run away from. But their families are heroes, too, because there's a risk there and you're also dealing with not having them around right now. How much peace of mind does this give a family to still be able to have their loved one right there in the driveway? Maybe you can talk to them through the screen window, but at the same time, everybody's been able to to be safe and distanced
2: yeah um, I actually belong to a group called married into emergency medicine and we've all been really supporting each other through this um, it is it is very difficult for the wives uh, or, or the husbands because you know obviously mm-hmm. we have women doctors too um, the main thing is that you, you have to keep a balance between keeping yourself and your children safe like you know, physically safe, but then also there's the emotional and mental aspect to it too. You have to, you know, my children, you, you just have to teach them. It's You have to make it like a game, you know, we're playing a game, you know, we got to be 10, 10, feet away from daddy. And mm-hmm. it's just, just a big game right now. And, and it'll end, you know, at some point. Um, so it's just, it's, you're just, you're living every it's day by day and it's very difficult on the spouses because we're so scared for our husbands, our wives, we're, we're terrified. And then we're terrified that perhaps they're bringing it in we don't know it. And that arch, you know, if I were to get sick, that would be a big problem because no one would be here to help me with my children. Mm -hmm. So that would be a, nobody would come. That would be a horrible problem. So we, those are things that we have to figure out.
1: Do you think that you guys are making a difference?
3: Absolutely i absolutely do and the reason i say that is just because and it not just us not emily and i but everybody that's gotten involved every person that's loaning out their rv or letting a you know letting a doctor borrow their rv um they're making a difference these doctors they're making a difference the nurses the paramedics the fire uh uh, firefighters police everybody they're everybody in this together is making a difference and i think that the reason our thing seems like it's making a much bigger impact is only because it's just spread like wildfire yeah and everybody is is wanting to jump in and and learn about it and and help and so i think that it's bringing out so much goodness in every single person that it's that that's the difference in this is everybody's coming together people of of all walks of life are coming together It doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat or Christian or not Christian. Everybody's coming together to help each other instead of battle each other and fight against each other and and say, I don't like your views. You know, people are giving things. They're giving, you know, $150,000 units that they have, that they put money into that they're still paying on, that they're still paying insurance on to somebody, a complete stranger. That's the thing that gets me
0: complete stranger. Yeah, it's and, you yeah. see the best of humanity in the worst yes. of times. If if we had told you both a month ago that you would be corralling all of these resources no. and matchmaking <laughs> like this, what would you have said?
2: You know, you're crazy. Of, <laughs> I know. I wanted to echo something out. There there's a whole other side of this that we haven't mentioned on this call. There's so many so many pieces to this story. The caliber of people that have come together behind the scenes to make this work—I want you to imagine—it's yes. almost like imagine one of the best-run companies mm-hmm. in the country. It's almost as if every one of the best people from project management to IT to communication to you know, taking social to P, media, to PR, social media, insurance. It, it, it is if we—it is if we went out and vetted the best team
0: and everyone's volunteering
2: 24 24 7 nobody's making a dime <laughs> nobody <not laughs> a dime. Clarify, and, we, and, um, we, and, we, and we're very clear there will be no money made in this organization by anybody
0: you, now you guys mentioned insurance and and that raised a question in my head like how do how does it uh, are they helping with sort of the the legal end of this like you know how do you just lend your rv to someone else for a while
3: so we're acting merely as the connector, and we're trying to stay as hands off as possible so that I mean I want to make sure that we're protecting anybody that we bring in to help us because you know you've got Sue so Happy people, um, which is inevitable in anything that you do. Um, and so I want to keep it as hands off as possible, but but still make that connection. And so My thing is with everybody, uh, we are not going to allow anybody to rent. Um, this is, this, this is out of the goodness of your heart. If you want to have an agreement as far as your insurance, whatever it is, that is between you guys. That's between the donor and the recipient. As far as what agreement you put together, it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with our page. It has nothing to do with our mission. Um, that's got to be very, um, important for everybody to understand is, we are just trying to do a good deed, and this this became a lot bigger than we imagined. And so, for right now, we just need to make sure that we're protecting anybody that's working with us to help us, um, that they're protected too, and stay as hands off on that part as possible. Their time.
1: All of this within a week.
3: Um, yes, in a week. Last week actually, less than a week. Yeah, actually. So Tuesday is when the when the website hit, or not website, sorry, the group hit. Um Wednesday. Emily and Lynn and Julia and Daisy and a couple others and I we were all just overwhelmed just trying to match a few people a a couple hundred maybe and then we started spreading it all over Facebook and people started sharing and so then it became so big well I'm part of I sponsor a group called The Difference and um, this it's a podcast that my uh, friend Lyndon started Um, he has been an intricate part of this because of the people that he's got that sponsor his radio podcast that they've all jumped in. I just asked, I said, Hey guys, this is what's going on. Do you guys have any advice? They're, they're business owners. These are all business mm-hmm. owners and, and they all jumped in and they're like, yeah, okay, I can help with this. I can help with logistics. I can help with insurance. I can help with, you know, PR, I can help with planning and, and, and everything. And, so they've been a huge part of this
0: how far flung are the people that you're dealing with right now all over the nation Hmm. all
2: over and canada now
0: and canada oh we
2: have one in canada now we have we have a group starting in canada as of about an hour ago
0: and this all started in little salina A little
2: tiny Salina.
0: Little tiny town of Salina, Texas. In this, in this time of social distancing, I mean, we're all joining uh, via a, a, a Zoom meeting right now. In this time of social distancing, has this given you all kind of this sense of community?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things, too, is when this all happened, I told Holly, I said, look, I might've come up with the idea. I don't want to, I, but I, my strengths are promotion mm. and connecting. I want you guys to, let's find a CEO. Let's find a president. Let's run with it. So we have built a family. We've met, we've got a new family now. Mm. I mean, everybody we, from Our Florida. Whole, like, yeah. Everybody I'll, we're, we're talking on zoom all day long, checking yep. in. And we even have a prayer group now for mm. us and for the first responders that is another point I wanted to bring up with you guys. So our, our initial vision was healthcare workers and you know we're trying to stay focused on that, but now we've got fire departments reaching out to us, police departments, so we are opening a separate entity that is going to be called RVs for first responders. Is that right,
3: Holly? Yes. Okay. I think that's the best course of action just because we we can't discount them being first responders they're the, they're the first ones usually on the scene helping out and so um, i really think that they that they should be a part of something like this i've i've got a firefighter in fort worth that has been messaging me on the facebook page wanting to help
1: so. All right. Well, a, a couple busy moms and passionate moms too on this. Uh, thanks for what you guys do. And thanks for, I know you have other Zoom calls right behind this one to do other interviews. <laughs> yeah. You agreed
2: nine. to do, Nine. Jeez. Nine. more. You agreed to do uh, yeah. ours first. Yeah.
1: So we yeah. appreciate that. And for people who are listening to this, they can go on Facebook and type in RVs for MDs and they can find a group and either donate yeah. or volunteer, whatever. You guys are kind of looking for as much as you can. Now for first responders as well. So, uh, Emily uh, Chaconis Phillips. Can
3: I make one? Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say one thing? I'm sorry. No, go ahead. As as far as donating, um, please no money. Um, We're not we're not set up for that. We don't want. We can't. And we will we will not accept any money. Um, No donations of an entire RV or anything like that. This is basically a a temporary housing Hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. match. And just so that we're clear on that, because We're not
1: set up like that. I understand. Holly Haggard there and Emily Phillips, thank you guys so much for uh, making time for us today. So, you know, it's
0: cool to see how much people have come together here, Jason. I think so many of us, you know, with something like this, it's so unprecedented that we we feel helpless. And I think people are looking for a way right now to help. And uh, what an incredible thing that has come together here in less than a week, started by two women who never dreamed that they would be in the middle of coordinating something like this.
1: COVID-19 caught everyone off guard. It, It globally, it caught everyone off guard. But, you know, here in the United States, we had, what, a month, two months to kind of see yeah. what was coming our way around the globe. And there's one Texas treasure, H-E-B, the grocery store chain. It's a regional chain, not as popular in North Texas as it is in San Antonio, the Gulf Coast, Austin, Central Texas, places like that. It would that. be
0: if they would build some stores in North Texas. People have been clamoring for it for years. Uh, you know,
1: when I lived in Houston, I, I, we shopped there a lot, um, uh, at one in Fort Bend County. But H-E-B got on the phone with China and called suppliers and retailers in China and said, hey, what's going on? How bad is this back in January? And then they Hmm. called Italy. Then they called Spain. So HEB, unlike a lot of grocery stores, HEB was pretty prepared for this. And
0: they also dusted off their own disaster pandemic preparedness folder. You never would have known that a regional grocer would have had a pandemic folder with a plan in it, but they did. And you'll imagine that going forward, everybody's going to have one of those. But they were ahead of the curve on that.
1: They were ahead of the curve. And there's a guy named Dan Solomon. He's a writer for Texas Monthly. He heard about this, he lives in Austin, he shops at HEB quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so he called him up and said, hey, what's going on? How, how, how are you guys so prepared when other grocery store chains might not be as prepared? And he learned a lot. How in the world did you find this story? Are you a big HEB shopper
4: or what? I mean, I am a big HEB shopper, but um, you know, I, I had done a story back in uh, 2017 about their response to Hurricane Harvey which was also pretty impressive uh, out in Houston. And so I was kind of aware that they had a full-time disaster response team, and I was really curious what they were doing around this. So I, I just reached back out to the sources that I had talked to in 2017, and they you know, had a lot to say. They had a, a big story to tell. So uh, yeah, I just you know, started kind of working the same sources I had had then.
1: A lot of people don't think about grocery stores having an emergency plan.
4: Yeah. The thing that makes H-E-B unique, I think, is that it's not just an emergency plan. It really is a a full-time, you know, department within their corporate leadership. And, you know, I think that that really does make a huge difference because if you have people whose full-time job is to just look for emergencies, they're going to find them and they're going to prepare for them. And so it's not really surprising when you figure that out that they they did have a plan going back, you know, as far as January, because what else is the emergency response team doing if they're not Planning for emergencies
0: and Dan, even before January, uh, this is something that they've had in place for a long time. Can you tell us sort of the genesis of, of how they started putting this whole folder together in the first place?
4: Sure. So they uh, they started their pandemic response uh, uh, plan back in 2000. I think it was 2006 or 2009. Um, but once they had the, uh, the outbreak uh, at the Cibolo store, or in Cibolo, Texas, uh, outside of San Antonio, um, I think it was in 2009, um, of, uh, of either SARS or MERS, I don't have it right in front of me, but, but whichever one was going around then, um, they had a, a, you know, an outbreak of a, you know, infectious coronavirus back in 2009, and so they started coming up with a plan for how they would handle that because the, you know, the team was still in effect then. So uh, they had sort of a a rough playbook to draw from back as far as 11 years ago or or even longer. And then as, uh, as this started to happen, you know, and they started to see what was going on in China, they started talking with their, you know, distributor network out there with other retailers out there and getting a sense of how it's impacting the grocery business really early on.
0: Mm -hmm. So they were on the phone to China uh, early on here and and learning from their counterparts. You know, what did you run out of? How did you still get this? How did you deliver that?
4: Correct. Yeah, they were looking at that. And then the other big thing they were looking at uh, in China and then in Italy was the impact of uh, absenteeism. Like if employees are getting sick, how do you keep a store running and keep it successful and meet the needs of the people who are going to be shopping there, even if your workforce is also part of the group of people who are you know, we're dealing with the the virus.
1: So Dan, in your article for the Texas monthly, um, you, you listed a number of things before you got deep into the interviews with everyone you talked to. And H E B has already done a number of things. What, uh, giving everyone a, a pay raise pretty immediately. Um, walk us through what this chain did to make sure that it could stay in business and keep the shelves stocked and take care of their customers.
4: So i think the biggest thing they did um certainly you know that that we can see as as customers is they switched to a they cut their hours from 8 a.m to 8 p.m um and that makes a big difference in terms of uh you know the employee morale if employees don't have to get in at 6 a.m and work till midnight if those shifts are just gone uh, that makes it a lot easier for the you know the staff to buy their own groceries and to spend time with their families and to get enough rest um, it also makes it easier for them to stock the shelves because they have 12 hours of, of, you know, time to stock as opposed to six hours of time to stock. So things like that, you know, are are a big thing. They did other stuff uh, that you wouldn't see but that are going on. Like they, you know, their beer distributors are mm-hmm. now moving eggs for them. They partnered mm-hmm. with uh, with uh, a company out of San Antonio that uh, normally does restaurant distribution and they're using their trucks and warehouses now to do groceries because the restaurant business obviously is a lot slower and so it's just kind of a good use of everybody's resources and it doesn't require teaching people how to reinvent the wheel it's just oh okay we can you know you know how to get food from one place to another effectively safely and efficiently let's use your trucks and get groceries because suddenly there aren't you know a ton of restaurants who are using your services so some of it was just smart stuff like that they uh they worked with the state to change some you know some restrictions in terms of like the heavy loads that their trucks can carry on uh, on the highways which is a big thing because if your truck is suddenly twice as full that's twice as many groceries hmm. and you know that might not be safe during normal times but at a time when the roads are are pretty bare, it seems like kind of the the sort of risk that you're willing to take in order to make sure that people are fed. So there's a lot of stuff like that, that I just, I, I don't have any thoughts about how much a truck should weigh on the highway, but, um, you know, obviously it's their job to think about that stuff. And so it was interesting to learn that they really, you know, were thinking about it and what it can mean to, you know, have heavier trucks, heavier shelves on the aisles, the canned food aisles. You know, we we talked to a, a, you know, a stalker who was explaining how much, uh, How much heavier the canned food aisle is right now than it is you know during Mm peacetime
0: yeah you know one of the things that stuck uh, stuck out to me in your article dan was you were talking about the canned aisle and just for perspective here uh it says uh that during the holidays uh they get maybe three cases there when they're restocking uh he says that's a pretty heavy night for our store last night we had over 700 cases on that aisle they're just getting wiped out. They said a lot of times they come in and it looks like the store is empty and they start from scratch filling it back up again at the end of the day.
4: Yeah, I mean it's really it's really wild how much a, even a, a minor shift in people's shopping when you're expecting to have a, a certain you know amount of groceries on the shelves every day and you kind of know what your customers are buying and when. Um, having a, a you know a three percent five percent ten percent spike in what people are buying completely changes everything about what your plan is because you want to have enough so that you're not leaving things on the shelves for you know days weeks months you want things to move pretty quickly um, so just a minor increase that was what they saw with the toilet paper like there's they were baffled by the toilet paper because you know the, they did a lot of simulating they did a lot of uh, you know talking with counterparts and other you know parts of the world and toilet paper wasn't something they were expecting to mm. go but once it goes it goes because those margins are really slim mm. so there's plenty of toilet paper in America we're not at a toilet paper shortage but if you plan to have you know 200 rolls and what you actually need is 250 then you know it just looks like you're completely gone because those 200 sell and then they're they're just gone. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they have toilet paper in their supply chain. They have stuff like that is, has been interesting to learn that, you know, it's really all, it's a margins business. And so having, running out of things means that you're out of them, but it doesn't mean that, you know, that there's a, an actual shortage of them. It just means that they didn't anticipate the margin of, of shoppers and anything over the 100% margin they can afford to have off their shelves at the time means that they're gone. But it doesn't mean that they're out. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it it, does. you mentioned
1: in the conversation here and in, in the Texas Monthly article about how the folks at H-E-B reached out to their counterparts in China. They reached out to their counterparts in Italy and Spain. Was no one in those countries buying toilet paper like the Americans are?
4: I think that the toilet paper thing was kind of a, a an Internet thing. And once people started seeing the toilet paper, you know, fly off the shelves on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, they're like, oh, we got to go get toilet paper right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, you know, once that happens, we run out of toilet paper. And, you know, people still, I don't think, you know, I don't know. For me personally, I feel a lot safer if I have, you know, an extra package just in the back of my closet somewhere. Um,
1: Let me ask you this too, because your article mentioned something else that that I didn't think about and that I haven't had trouble getting, and that's eggs. And you talked about eggs earlier in the conversation, um, how what beer distributors have emptied out their beer trucks, uh, refrigerated beer trucks, and they're hauling dozens of eggs
4: around all over the place. Is that right? Yeah, that's uh, at least one beer distributor for HEB is doing that. I don't know how widespread it is. It's one of those things that would not have been legal under uh, normal times, but you know we aren't in normal times, and they're just trying to get the stores shop, the stores stocked and yeah. uh, the students working with them. On well,
1: that. I'm I'm sure people listening are, are going to want to know two things. Number one, can I go to HEB and buy toilet paper? Number two, can I buy eggs there? Do they have those in
4: stock? I don't know about your HEB. Like that's uh-huh. you know one of the the questions is that they're the the supply seems to, you know, come and go a lot and it gets refilled a lot. Like I was at the store looking for garlic, which isn't something that I ever mm-hmm. thought about a garlic shortage before. <laughs> and, you know, this was maybe a week and a half ago, there was no garlic at the start of the trip and there mm-hmm. was garlic by the end of the trip. So, uh, that was you know, kind of a good reminder, like, Oh, okay. They are really doing this constantly. Um, so yeah like yes there are enough eggs right now like that you know that might end up being a, an issue at some point in the future there are only so many chickens so mm-hmm. we can't you know if there's a huge increase in the demand on eggs the you know the supply can only go up so much but right now eggs aren't in an actual shortage as far as I'm aware toilet paper isn't in an actual shortage it's just that people are buying it all when they see it and mm-hmm. uh, so you know probably don't do that and, you know, get whatever you need and uh, and you should be OK and you should be contributing to it being OK.
0: Dan, you mentioned chicken there. So let's talk about uh, meat. Uh, Texas is big meat eating state. That's one thing where H-E-B didn't have problems with the supply chain, any disruption there. Kind of explain why, because that's kind of unique.
4: Yeah, so a lot of their meats are done in house. They do uh, they have their own plants to process the meats and to, mm. you know, bring them to the stores. And uh, one thing they they started doing around the time that they switched from the, the hours to eight to eight, is uh, they switched their their meat plants so that they're only doing the fifty most common cuts of meat. They're not doing every you know the hundred or whatever that they would normally do. So you know if there's a, a you know, you can definitely get boneless, skinless chicken breast, but you mm-hmm. might not be able to get the, you know, the gizzards that you're used to because they're just mm-hmm. not doing that. They want to focus on the stuff they know is going to sell so they can have that. in high volume. Dan,
0: uh, when you when you were seeing all of this infrastructure that they have in place here to deal with disasters like this or with a pandemic, uh, did any did you get the sense from them of how they would have fared if they hadn't had sort of this blueprint ready to go? to dust it off? W- would they have been able to ramp up the way they've been able to ramp up here?
4: You know, it's hard to answer that question. We can look at other stores and sort of how they're doing to get some answers to that. But H-E-B is unique because in the areas where they are operating, they really are the dominant supermarket. So, you know, looking at, you can't really compare, you know, in Texas, you can't compare H-E-B to like a, a Randall's, which is also in you know my neighborhood, and which isn't dealing with the same volume that HEB deals with, because for a lot of people, HEB does kind of feel like, like it is the definitive supermarket in parts of Texas. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I know that, um, you know, I, I had a friend who was working on a a story about, uh, Whole Foods and how they're dealing with this. And we had been chatting, um, shortly before this story ran. and, And she mentioned to the exec at Whole Foods that HEB had been in touch with, uh, you know, retailers in, in China back in January. And, you know, the eyebrows shot straight to the forehead at that one um, wasn't something that, you know, I I think every store is doing. Um, And I I think that, you know, some of these like, like a a whole foods is, you know, backed by Amazon, which has a lot of purchasing power and it has a lot of sway with uh, within the supply chain. And so I think that, you know, what we can say is that for a small regional chain, you know, like H-E-B, which is ultimately just in, you know, a fraction of, of, you know, Texas, let alone the entire U.S., um, if they didn't have a plan like this, they could have really been caught flat-footed because they'd be competing with all of these chains from, that are much larger from around the world and around the country for, uh, for supply that just is, is in very high demand. So the fact that they were looking at this early and, uh, you know, started stocking their warehouses early and, and developing these relationships, I think makes it a lot easier for them to stay functional right now.
1: HEB has experienced Hurricane Harvey, as you mentioned. They've had a decade's worth of of natural disasters that they've responded to to make sure their shelves are stocked and their customers are taken care of. But what do you think HEB has learned from this? Because this isn't a regional disaster like Harvey on the coast. This has hit nationwide and globally.
4: You know there's a lot of lessons that they're that they're learning right now in terms of, I think how uh, you know how to manage their supply chain, how to keep things developing when they need them to develop. Um, I think that they're learning a lot from their digital services, which were, just about adequate uh, for where they were before this happened in terms of their curbside and delivery ordering online. Um, that stuff was all functional, but it was a really small part of their business before this. And I think that going forward, you know, I think this is going to change the way that people shop for groceries in this country, even long after, you know, we're, we're back out on the, on the streets and living our lives normally again. Um, so I think that we're going to see some changes that They're really learning on the fly, like, okay, this is how we deliver groceries. This is how we, you know, institute curbside and make sure that we have what people are looking for. This is how we read the data from that. They have data now that they would have never had, you know, even just a couple of weeks ago about what people are buying and, and how they're making those decisions because, uh, they get this information in real time based on what people are searching for online. And so I think that stuff like that is really going to change in terms of, you know, the, the big picture of the store. I think that's still a lot of that's still being figured out. Um, but I, I, I do think that we're going to see pretty dramatic changes to the way that people shop. And, uh, you know, this is going to be something that the, the smartest companies are taking lessons on right now. And that will help them prepare for other emergencies. I, I like to think that, you know, HEB won't be alone in having a disaster prep uh, wing of their, you know, of their company going forward. I think that, that that's something that makes a lot of sense for everybody if they have any resources to devote to it you know, when the worst happens, you really wanna be able to provide for people.
0: Dan, uh, one one other thing that they have to have learned a lot about here is workforce. Uh, and, and you touch on several things here in the article about how they pretty quickly increased the hourly pay for their workers. They adjusted the, the leave uh, policy for their workers. Uh, and they even set up a store within one of their warehouses for their workers. Because, you know, God bless these workers, by the way, if you are in, in the retail industry there at the grocery store, if you're a checker, a sack, or a stocker, uh, thanks to you, uh, because we've all been staying, you know, stocked up because of that. Um, but they actually set aside a warehouse for their employees because they're working so hard all day that they don't have time to shop themselves.
4: Yeah, for the uh, that's the central warehouse in San Antonio. They have a, a kind of a shop within the shop there, so people can bring home essentials without having to visit a store. Who work in the their biggest warehouse? Um, I don't think that they're doing that in the other warehouses yet, but it seems like they're really trying to be creative in how they uh, in how they address the needs of their workforce. They have a an internal line you can call if you think you have symptoms and, uh, you know, they'll sort of, they do, they're doing phone screenings for their employees right now on a private line to see, you know, to help them figure out if they need to get tested, if they need to see a doctor. Um, so stuff like that, I thought was really interesting and, and pretty surprising just that they have that level of, you know, sort of working with their employees. They, one thing they mentioned to me that I thought was interesting is that a lot of their employees really look to H E B for information about what's happening in the world right now and for how to respond to this. So, you know, that seems like a responsibility that they take pretty seriously, that they want to make sure that, uh, that their workers are informed around that. Um, you know, and when it comes to stuff like increasing their pay, that's a that's a big deal. That's uh, something that we're seeing a lot of companies do. And, you know, I, I think that part of it is to ensure that, you know, the workforce doesn't get doesn't feel underappreciated, doesn't start thinking about what else they you know, could or should be doing right now and doesn't feel like they're making a, a huge sacrifice. You know, they are making a huge sacrifice to be there, but um, that they feel rewarded for it. So I hope that that, you know, that pay increase, uh, right now it's slated to run, I think, through the middle of April. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if they keep that certainly through the end of the month, um, you know, and and we'll see what happens beyond that. But I think that they, they seem to really understand that they owe it to their employees to make sure that they feel appreciated and that that's really sort of the lifeblood of their company and their stores right now is that, you know, you see a, a friendly face at the register who's, you know, sanitizing their hands and, you know, bagging your groceries, wearing, you know, with every precaution. And I think that they recognize that, that people need that and that their employees really need them. And so I I hope that they're, you know, continuing to take care of them going forward. I don't see why they wouldn't be.
1: Yeah. H-E-B is like Whataburger, like Southwest Airlines. It's uniquely Texas. And if you've lived anywhere else in Texas where there is an H-E-B like Jason Wheeler has, like I have, like you, uh, Dan, you're in in Austin, uh, I believe, um, you you know that there's a loyal following it at HEBs, And your article in Texas Monthly even included a a tweet, the digital article um, of a customer who was so thankful that the customer sent mariachis to the store in shirts, Texas. Is that right?
4: That's correct. Yeah, that was a, you know, it was kind of a viral tweet that was going around of the Mariachis playing and, you know, people compared it to the Titanic, which, uh, you know, you, you don't like to think about a whole lot, but uh, you know, they, the the band was playing on, and uh, yeah, I was curious about that, so I asked if they had seen that, and they uh, they explained that in fact it was it wasn't something that they did for their employees; it was someone something that a customer had done for the employees, and I I wouldn't be surprised if the folks in the band are also H E B customers, and we're kind of excited to do it.
1: I bet so, and I hadn't seen the tweet until I read the article and the mariachis are standing in the, the main center aisle there in between the uh, the food and the cash registers playing away. Uh, it, it's it's fascinating. Uh, there they are. There they are. <laughs> we're, we're watching on the Zoom call here. It, it was a fascinating little moment that was a, a, a neat little element to the, the story you had there as well, too. HEB, I, I read uh, last night, Sunday night, that it's going to deliver 24 truckloads of food to food banks all throughout Texas. It's a half meal half million meals for texans in need so that just kind of reinforces their reputation uh in, in this in this time what did you walk away with dan that, that you didn't know
4: i think that the biggest thing that i walked away with was just sort of a sense of relief that there's a company of you know really competent people who seem to care about taking care of the communities that they work in um you know i i, I Like HEB as a customer, but I didn't go into this necessarily expecting to learn that they were as prepared as they were. I, you know, try and approach every story with a a degree of skepticism, and I was really surprised and impressed to learn that they had all of this in place. That you could kind of see it on the shelves. That you could go into the story and and go into the store rather and see that, you know, they they really did have some plans in place. There were things that you know, I went in an afternoon and expected, okay, I'm not going to be able to find pasta or beans or you know, these staples that, you know, are shelf stable and, and run out. And they were able to keep those in supply, which tells you that they're doing something right. And so uh, I think sort of learning, okay, there's, it's not just a, a happy accident that I was there at the time that they had, you know, spaghetti and, and rice on the shelves, but that they have been working really hard to make sure that you can get those things. Uh, you know, that was, that was kind of a neat thing to put together for me.
0: It is impressive when you're uh, talking about a global pandemic here and we've got this humble regional grocer sort of uh, setting the standard on on how you prepare for something like this. And you just wonder, you know, will this be uh, a business class uh, someday down the road? And like you said, Dan, uh, if you don't have a plan going forward, no matter what kind of business you're in after this, then you can't be helped. I mean, this is something that every company uh, needs to be looking at if they hadn't been already. Dan, thanks for taking the time with us.
4: Yeah, this is fun. It's uh, good to talk about, you know, anything in times like these right now. So I
1: appreciate it. Indeed it is. And the story is called uh, Inside the Story of How H-E-B Planned for the Pandemic. You can Google it. You can Google Dan Solomon's name, Texas Monthly, H-E-B. You'll find the story. And Texas Monthly has graciously uh, opened up its paywall to allow people to read the coronavirus stories, too. Dan Solomon, thanks a lot, man.
0: You know, it's it's uh, it's good to know that they were left scratching their heads, too, about this whole phenomenon with toilet paper. And isn't it interesting that they were calling other places in the world and no one warned them that everybody's going to make a run on toilet paper? Apparently, that's unique to us. And I don't know what that says about us.
1: I I will never look at a beer truck the same during this (laughs) pandemic. You know, you you see a truck that says four corners on the side or Revolver Brewing Company or Miller Lite, whatever it might be. Is there really beer inside there? Is it a bunch of eggs inside there?
0: it's amazing how much uh we've had to be fluid in in our jobs and that includes you know whole industries and trucking and so forth and it's like it's amazing to see the creativity coming together and people just figuring out a way like oh we can use that to do that
1: yeah there's a lot of ingenuity going on right now and a lot of patience too i know in dallas county we've heard the uh county judge up here clay jenkins just say over the weekend that if you are out and you can still be outside, you can still go to uh, parks and jogging trails and places like that. Like Jason said, too, what he was seeing in the store, keep your distance from people. That means a physical separation of at least six feet. And if you don't do that on the trails or lakes or wherever you are, then in some places like Dallas County, they might start writing tickets.
0: You know, and it really is, I guess it has to be done that way, but this is the only way that we're just going to get to the other side of this, is if people will finally just, everybody take it seriously, everybody avoid other people. That's the only way that we get done with this. So let's just do it and get it over with.
1: I was looking before we started recording this podcast, I looked up to see uh, some of the latest numbers, and this is from the, uh, the, federal government these are scientists and doctors and it says the peak for texas right now that date is may 2nd so we Jeez. are a little more than a month away from that uh that's so, a long time you you, know, is a you long think time. about it
0: we've been in this for a couple of weeks now and it feels like these weeks have just stretched into months and now here we you know could have another more than month of this so you know it's time to settle in and get that routine and just you know make the mental preparation that this is the way it is for now
1: and it's going to be like this you know once you get to the peak you'll still have what two three four weeks maybe on the back side of the peak just yep. like we have right now leading up to the peak so this is going to be kind of uh you know people hate the the phrase the new normal it, it, it is the new normal call it what you want yep. uh, but for at least a couple of months this is what it's going to be people have estimated this is going to go on for eight weeks and that's that's probably pretty close i'm not a scientist or doctor, but as I look at, at what people are publishing, that looks pretty accurate to me.
0: So And throughout, we'll just keep guiding you through it and, uh, you know, giving you the latest uh, facts and figures and information that we're getting, but also kind of peppering in some of the the, the stories that, uh, you know, kind of make you go, hmm, uh, like we had today with these two moms who just started, you know, connecting doctors with RVs and uh, this uh, Texas grocery chain that just figured out how to spread themselves around the world uh, early on to figure out how do we get ahead of this.
1: And like Jason has said, the past couple of times we've done this, we're doing at least two podcasts a week now, trying to mm-hmm. really shine a light on what's happening here in Texas around COVID-19, this coronavirus. And Jason, I hope the next time that we talk later in the week here for the next uh, episode of Yolotix that you have a Texas beer besides <laughs> Stella Artois. A Stella
0: Artois. Go I out, like put I your be...
1: mask back on, man. Put some gloves I need to drink on. This. I need to, do what you have to do and for go, this. go get a Texas beer. Get a Texas beer, man. (laughs) All right,
0: everybody, distance. Distance when you get to the store. Don't be right up next to anybody. We'll see you guys. we'll see you next time.
1: We'll see you later this week.